0: السلام عليكم wa rahmatullahi الله وبركاته how are you all doing الحمد لله نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري من لساني يفقهوا قولي اللهم اهد قلبي وسدد لساني واصلل سخيمه قلبي امين يا العالمين In our previous class, alhamdulillah, we learned about the rulings for the woman who is in Hidad, meaning who is mourning for the loss of her husband. And we learned about the different things that she has to refrain from. And of the things that she has to refrain from is applying fragrance. And a question was asked that what kind of fragrance is she not allowed to put on? Is it any fragrance like a muhrim is not allowed to apply any kind of fragrance? Is it that? And the answer is that, The prohibition is not the same as the prohibition for the muhrim. The person in ihram cannot apply anything with fragrance. Remember that there's two types of fragrances. One type of fragrance is that which you put on for the purpose of perfuming yourself, your clothes, your body. Right? So for example, a perfume spray or for example an oil. The other kind of fragrance is that which is just an ingredient, a part of something else. Like for example, cream, hand cream. It may have some kind of fragrance in it. Shampoo, it may have some fragrance in it. Isn't it so? Now when you go for Hajj, when you go for Umrah, and you are in a state of ihram, can you use such shampoo in which there is fragrance? No. Can you use soap in which there is fragrance? No. You have to use fragrance-free stuff. Isn't it so? Now, for the woman in Hidād, she has to stay away from the first kind of fragrance. Not the second kind of fragrance, the first kind of fragrance. Fragrance that is applied for the purpose of perfuming yourself. And the reason for that is, that is part of adorning oneself. It's part of beautifying yourself. You understand? Like for example, hand cream, which has some fragrance in it, you'll put it on when you're going to bed. For instance... You put some cream on your feet that has some, let's say, peppermint in it. You're putting that when you're going to bed. But when you get ready in the morning, or when you're going out, right, or when you're going to see your friends or something, then what do you do? What do you do? After putting that hand cream on, you also put something else, like a spray or something like that. You understand? So the first type of fragrance, which is for the purpose of adorning oneself, that kind of fragrance, a woman in Hidat cannot wear. You understand? For the duration of those four months and ten days, she will not wear that. Because in the hadith, we learn about applying a certain kind of fragrance after a tuhr, meaning after a woman ends her menstrual cycle, then she can apply some kind of fragrance. Why? Because that kind of fragrance is for the purpose of cleaning the body. You understand? So hand soap, shampoo, deodorant, this is permissible for the woman in hidat, because this is part of Nadafa, cleaning oneself. You understand? Is it clear? Is the matter clear? Okay, Alhamdulillah. Okay. Now, inshallah, we will continue. Bab ziaratil quburi, visiting the graves. And in some books, this has also been reported as ay mashru'iyatiha, meaning it's legislation. Meaning, it is legislated that we must visit the graves. And the evidence for that, Imam Bukhari brings a hadith, حدثنا آدم حدثنا شعبة حدثنا ثابت عن أنس بن مالك رضي الله عنه قال مرة النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم بمرأة تبكي عند قبر أنس بن مالك said that the prophet صلى الله عليه passed by a woman who was crying by a grave meaning she was sitting by a grave and she was crying فقال so he said اتق الله وصبري fear Allah and be patient قالت that woman replied Ilayka anni. Ilayka anni, to you, from me, what it means is mind your own business. What it means is let me be and please don't say anything to me. She said, for you have not been struck with my calamity. You don't know what I'm going through, so you don't tell me to be patient now how could this woman say something like that to the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the reason was she did not recognize him fa so it was said to her innahu an sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that was the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam telling you fa atat bab sallallahu alayhi wa sallama so she came to the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to the door of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam meaning to his house fa lam and so she did not find near it. In the who? Who is referring to the Bab, the door of his house? She did not find any bowabin over there. Who is a bawabeen? People who are appointed to stand at doors, like guards. So the Sahaba sometimes they would stand by the door of the Prophet ﷺ. Why? So that in case he needed them, he would go somewhere, they would follow him. Or if anybody wanted to come inside, they would send a message through them. So when she came, she found nobody at the door. So basically, she made her way inside. قالت, she said, "Lam arifka." So she started apologizing, saying that I'm sorry, I did not recognize you. فقالت, so he said, "Inna sadma ula." Indeed, patience is at the time of the first strike of calamity. Meaning your first reaction when you are struck by calamity. That is when you're supposed to observe sabr. Sabr is not that you have reacted angrily. You have said what you have said. You have cried and yelled and screamed. And then after an hour, after two hours, after three days, you tell yourself, let me be patient. Sabr is when your first reaction. It is in your first response. That is when sabr is to be observed. And the thing is that if you can control yourself at that time, then you can control yourself later also. And if you become impulsive then, then it's difficult to control yourself later. Isn't it so? And what happens is that if you say something, then you have to carry on in that manner. right? Like for example, if you say something negative, then you have to say something more negative because it's not enough. Then you have to say something more negative. But if you control yourself right at that moment, right at the beginning, then it's easier to control yourself later also. So this woman, she did not observe sabr when she got upset by what the Prophet ﷺ said to her. And so she said, ilayka anni, Mind your own business, you don't know what I'm going through. So later, even when she came to apologize, the Prophet ﷺ told her that sabr was supposed to be at that time. Now, it is said that this woman was crying over her dead child. Her child had passed away and she was by the grave of her child. And this is why she was crying. And the Prophet ﷺ told her, "Ittaqillah الله Why did he tell her, fear Allah and be patient? Why? Because she was crying perhaps excessively. And remember that in Arabia, in the time of Jahiliyyah especially, people had this tradition of wailing over the dead. Right and crying excessively, creating a scene, and crying for a long time. And this can be problematic because it can lead you to becoming upset with the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Isn't it so? Because if you continue to be sad and upset, then what does it mean? You're not happy with what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decided. You are objecting at the decision of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is why ittaqillah wasbiri, and be patient, meaning be patient over your loss and expect reward from Allah. And this is something that everybody needs to hear at such times. So the Prophet ﷺ he gave her a reminder, and she got upset with that. And this also happens that you try to advise someone in such a nice way, you want the best for them, and they get upset. That who are you to tell me? You have no idea about what I'm going through. So if you see that someone is in a condition that they're not going to listen, then what is best? Then what is best? Say something very little. As the Prophet ﷺ said, "Ittaqillaha اللَّهَ That's it. Nothing more than that. Just two, three words. So say very little and then remain silent. Now what we see over here is the reason why Imam Bukhari is bringing this hadith is that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi passed by a grave. And when he passed by a grave there was a woman sitting there crying. Correct? The Prophet sallallahu alaihi did not tell her to go away from there, to go away from the grave. He did not object to her sitting by the grave and crying. What he objected at was her wailing. This is why he stopped her from that. So what does this hadith tell us? That it is permissible for people to visit the graves. But when we do visit the graves, when we do go to a graveyard, then we must not let our emotions drive us. We have to remain within the guidelines that we have been given. And remember that when we visit the graves, then there is benefit for the visitors, for the people visiting. And there is also benefit for those who are being visited. How so? What's the benefit for the visitor? For those who go to the graveyard, what's the benefit for them? What's the benefit for them? Okay, it's a reminder of death. It's a reminder of the shortness of life. It's the reminder of the hereafter. It's a means of softening your heart. It's a means of controlling your love for this world. And what's the benefit for those who are visited? What's the benefit for them? They're in their graves. How will you benefit them by visiting? You make dua for them. You go and say, assalamu عليكم ya أهل You make dua for them. So there is benefit in this for who? For those who visit, and also those who are visited. However, we learn from other reports that the Prophet ﷺ disapproved of women excessively visiting the graves. So go visit the graveyard, but don't make it a routine. And don't make it a habit that every week you're going. You understand? So go every now and then, once in a while, but not excessively. Do not make it a routine, because that is something that we are not allowed to do. The men are allowed to do that, the reason being that they have to bury the dead. They have to take the janazah. So if there was a limit set on the men, then what would happen? Men would say, "Oh, I visited the graveyard last week, so I cannot go today." They would be deprived of fulfilling their obligation. So the men are allowed to visit excessively; women are not. Bab, النَّبِيُّ صلى الله عليه وسلم, the statement of the Prophet ﷺ, يُعَذَّبُ الْمَيِّتُ بِبَعْضِ بُكَاءِ أَهْلِهِ عَلَيْهِ. يُعَذَّبُ الميت. The deceased is punished. Why is he punished? Because of some of the crying of his family, عَلَيْهِ, over him. Meaning when the family cries over the deceased, then certain types of crying become a cause of Adab for who? For the deceased person. Imam Bukhari adds, min This is when Nauh is from his ways. Whose ways? Of the deceased. Meaning this was something that he practiced in his lifetime also. And so if he did not stop his family and then they cry and wail over him, they do Nauh over him, then what will happen? Their crying will be a source of punishment for the deceased. Now before we continue, the question is what exactly is a noh? A no is a certain type of crying. It's a certain type of crying. It's crying in which there is wailing, meaning there is a lot of noise. You know, one is that you quietly cry, silently cry, your eyes become teary. You know, you try to suppress the crying. But then no is When there's sound, loud gasping, like basically how children scream and cry. And not just crying loudly and excessively, but in this there is also beating of the chest and the cheeks, tearing of the clothes, and taking mud and putting that on one's head, and like hitting one's head against the wall, and you know, people hugging and, you know, falling from side to side. This is noah. And this is something that we are not allowed to do. Remember that a noh is actually a major sin. It's actually a major sin. The reason being that there is clear prohibition. The Prophet ﷺ dissociated himself from such people. He said that such people are not of us. And there is also a threat of punishment for this behavior. So. Now, remember that when crying is natural, like for example, your loved one dies and you cannot help but cry, that crying is permissible, as we will see in the hadith that we will read. The Prophet ﷺ wept when his grandchild died in front of him. He wept when his daughter died. So crying is permissible. What is not permissible is fake crying or excessive crying uncontrollable crying. So crying with takalluf turns into a no, And that is not permissible. Now, Imam Bukhari says over here about the statement of the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ said that the deceased is punished because of the crying of his family. Now if you think about it, why would the dead person be punished because of the crying that others are doing over him. What's his fault in that? You understand? Why is he being punished for the actions of other people? So Imam Bukhari explains over here, إِذَا كَانَ النَّوْحُ مِنْ سُنَّتِهِ When the deceased person was also in the habit of doing the same kind of crying when he was alive. You understand? When he was alive, when this person was alive, what did he do when his loved ones died? He did the same. No, Or he approved of it. He saw people doing it, he approved of it. And he did not stop people from doing it. And he did not tell them that when I die, don't do this on me. So you understand? He is guilty because he approved of it. So in this situation, he will be punished for the no that is being done on him. But if he did not like it, he stopped his family from it. And he told them, do not do this on me. Yet they ignore, and when he dies, they wail over him. Is he guilty then? No, he's not guilty. And this is something very serious. You will see many narrations under this chapter heading that really is frightening. That if you see something wrong being done in your family and you don't stop them, you don't stop them, you are equal in guilt. You are equal in guilt. It doesn't matter whether you are alive or dead. It is your duty to save yourself and your family from the fire. So you cannot say over there, oh, what can I do? It's their choice. No, because their choice is going to affect you also. Even after you die. When you die, they wail over you. They revive the tradition of Jahiliya. This is something that's going to impact you. So you are also guilty of it. So you have to stop them during your lifetime. لِقَوْلِ اللَّهِ تعالى, Because of the statement of Allah the Exalted, Imam Bukhari brings an ayah of the Quran over here that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Save yourselves and your families from the fire. Save yourselves and your families from the fire. So if Allah has prohibited a naww, what does it mean? That you have to Keep yourself away from no. you don't do it yourself, and you also stop your family from Noah. And if you don't stop them during your lifetime and they do it over you after you die, then you are guilty. You neither saved yourself nor did you save them. Wakalan Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and the Prophet said Rain wa mas'oolun an ra'iyatihi. All of you, each and every one of you is a ra'in, is a shepherd and you will be held accountable. You will be asked about your flock. So you cannot say about the habits of your family. It's their choice. You understand? Your duty is that you tell them. You stop them. You advise them. And if they don't, then you are not guilty. Because you did your part. And if you don't stop them, you let them do whatever they're doing, then you are equal in guilt. Because you are approving disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You understand? This is similar to how if you're driving, if, if you're sitting with, uh, let's say, uh, somebody from your family, all right, and they're driving and they're speeding. What is your duty? Let them speed? Let them break all the traffic rules? What will you do? What will you do? What is your duty? That you stop them. Isn't it? You warn them, you remind them, and if you don't, then you're you're approving of it. Remember the story of the people who killed the camel. The camel was sent as a miracle to them, right? But how many people killed the camel? It was only one person, isn't it? In one part of the Quran, we learn "aqara," he, one person killed the camel, and in another place, we learn "fagqaru," all of them did. Why were all of them guilty? And why was the entire nation punished? Because they all approved of it. They did not stop him. So this is something we really need to think about. That in our families, if there are people who are openly disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what are we doing? Are we allowing them? Are we cooperating with them in sin? Or are we at least telling them that this is not okay? Is it not our responsibility to do amr bil ma'roof wa anil Is it not our duty to do that? It is. And in the Quran, we learn that those people who do amr bil ma'roof wa anil such people are al-salihun. They are the righteous ones. And remember that al-ladina an-namta the people that Allah subhanahu wa taala is pleased with, who are they? They are the prophets, the siddiqun, the martyrs, and then finally. The Salihin, the Salihin are, are the lowest, if you think about it. And who are the Salihin? Those who do amr bil ma'ruf wa anil munkar. And if we don't even do amr bil ma'ruf wa anil munkar, where do we stand then? How can we consider ourselves to be part of the Salihun? So when there's something wrong going on in our families, it's our duty to remind one another. Sometimes people know, but they forget. Right? We're human we forget. We all need reminders. Just on our way here, I was driving and sometimes I don't realize that I, you know, go over the speed limit. And my son keeps an eye on the speedometer and he said to me as we sat in the car, mama, if you hear me clapping, that means that you're going over the speed limit. So I said, okay, thank you. Right? We all need that. And if we don't stop each other, then we are equal in guilt, because we are approving of it. And this is something that will affect us, not just in this life, but also in the next life. So if a person is from a family where niyaha is done over the dead, where people do wail over the deceased, then what should this person do? What should they do? They should tell their family, make a wasiyah, that when I die, do not do this over me. He should make a wasiyah. Write it in his will if he has to. All right, And if he does not make that wasiyah, if he does not tell them, then he cannot blame his family. That, oh, it's their fault, it's their choice. In the Quran we learn, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أَثْقَالَهُمْ وَأَثْقَالًا مَعَ أَثْقَالِهِمْ They will carry their own burdens and the burdens of others also. Who are the others referring to? Those who sinned because of them. So we have to stop each other. Naiman no. Bukhari says that if it was not from his sunnah, meaning niyaha, was not from the habit of this person. Which person? The deceased. And he stopped his family from it, made the wasiyah, alright, or he didn't think that his family would do it. So he never told them because he never thought that it would be an issue. And what happens when he dies? People wail over him. فَهُوَ كَمَا قَالَتْ عَائِشَةُ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهَا Then he will be as the one that Aisha رضي الله described that لا تَزِرُ وَزِرَةً وَزِرَ أُخْرَى No bearer of burden will bear the burden of another. So this is where he will not be held guilty. He will not be held responsible. Why? Because it's not his fault that people are wailing over him. Because he never did it himself, he never expected that his family would do it, and in fact he stopped them from doing it. But they did it anyway. So is it his fault now? No, it's not his fault. And he is like his statement, being the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Wa that if a musqalah will call, who is a musqalah? A person on the Day of Judgment that will be heavily laden with the burden of sin. So if that person will call, all right, and musqalah, he's heavily laden with zunuban, with sins, ila himliha, to its carrying, meaning he's calling someone that please come and carry some of these sins, take them off of me, la yuhmal minhu shay'un, nothing will be taken Away from him. Meaning he will have to carry his sins himself. That guilt will not be shared. You understand? So this person who stopped his family, but his family did it anyway, then is he guilty? He's not guilty then. Abdullah ibn Mubarak said that, إِذَا كَانَ يَنْهَاهُمْ فِي حَيَاتِهِ فَفَعْلُوا شَيْئًا مِن ذَلِكَ بَعْدَ وَفَاتِهِ لَمْ يَكُنْ عَلَيْهِ شَيْءٌ That if... He would stop them during his lifetime and then they do it anyway after his death, then he is not guilty. Because a sinful person will be guilty for his own sin, not the sins of others. So what have you understood now about Noah? Is it forbidden or permissible? It's forbidden. What kind of a sin is it? It's a major sin. And if people cry over a deceased, then from the statement of the Prophet wasallam, we learn that the deceased will be punished. When will he be punished? In which situation? When he approved of it, when he did it himself, when he did not stop his family. Right? And if he did not approve of it, if he stopped his family, and they did it anyway, then what? Then what? He's not guilty, because he will not be held responsible for the sins of others. Now, one more thing before we continue, that some ulama say that adab that's mentioned in this hadith, all right, the statement that Imam Bukhari quoted at the beginning of the Bab, the word adab over here does not mean punishment, as in uquba. It does not mean punishment. What it means is pain. You see the word adab in the Arabic language is used for both punishment and pain, torture. Now for example, if a person is being tortured emotionally, for instance, is he being punished for some sin that he committed? No, not necessarily. But the word عذاب may be used over there. The Prophet ﷺ described safar, travel, as قِطْعَةٌ min عَذَابٌ A portion of adab. Now is traveling a punishment? Is it a punishment? No. But is traveling easy? Is it easy? No, it's hard. Even if you go on vacation, right? it's still difficult, it's painful, it's physically exhausting. Isn't it? So some scholars said that when a family cries and wails, grieves excessively over the loss of their loved one, then that loved one, that deceased person, feels pain Every time that the family wails over him. Their wailing hurts him. Their crying makes him sad. You understand? And this is something that makes a lot of sense. Because if you think about it, if for example, you move away from your country, your city, your family, let's say. It happens with girls, you know, when they get married and they move away from their parents. Then what happens? Her family misses her isn't it so the mother misses her the father misses her the brother misses her everybody misses her right that's understood separation is painful but each time she hears from them oh we miss you so much does that make her happy does that make her happy no it makes her more sad because first of all she's separated from them and now what are they doing constantly telling her oh we miss you we miss you we need you and you're not with us and because of the distance she's not able to be with them right so this makes you know every time she hears a message receives a message receives a request it you know that causes her pain and it's so amazing we become so selfish sometimes when we keep telling people oh we miss you so much we're thinking about who? Ourselves And we're not thinking about the other person They also miss us We miss them because they're gone Our life is still the same Their life has completely transformed Because not only have they been separated from us Now they're dealing with unknown territory Isn't it? So life is even more difficult for them So this separation causes them a lot of pain Now the same goes for a dead person every time that the family cries and wails over him and he finds out about it, it causes him hurt. It's heavy on him. So whenever you miss your loved ones, instead of crying excessively over them, what should you do? Make dua for them. Give some sadaqah for them. And even a living person, if they've been separated from you, for whatever reason, because of marriage, because of work, because of school, instead of telling them every day, I miss you, I miss you, I miss you, sending them message after message, leaving them voice message after voice message, you're making life difficult for them. Do something productive. وَمَا يُرَخَّصُ مِنَ الْبُكَاءِ فِي غَيْرِ نَوْحٍ Now another thing Imam Bukhari makes clear over here. وَمَا يُرَخَّصُ And what, is, what has been made permissible مِنَ الْبُكَاءِ of crying فِي غَيْرِ نَوْحٍ Without wailing. Meaning crying is permissible as long as there is no noh in it, crying itself is not prohibited. At the death of someone, it's only certain types of crying which are prohibited. Wa qala Sallallahu salallahu alaihi wasallam, and the Prophet salallahu alaihi wasallam said, "La tuqtilu nafsun zulman illa kana ala ibni adam al awli kiflun min damiha." This is a portion of a hadith that Imam Bukhari reports it in another book but here only one portion is mentioned he says the Prophet ﷺ said that لا تقتل نفس ظلما no person is killed unjustly إلا كان except that there is على بن آدم upon the son of Adam which son of Adam? it's not just any human being it's his sons alright remember the two sons? alright one killed the other so the killer over here Ibn Adam al-Awwal the first one kiflum min damiha a portion of its blood what is meant is that every murder that is committed meaning any person that is unjustly killed then a portion of that sin goes to who to the first son of Adam not just to the killer but the first son of Adam. Why? And that is because he was the first one Mansan who began the tradition of killing. He started murder. So he opened the door of murder. So just like that, if a person opens the door to know to wailing, then what will happen? anyone who does wailing after him, then he will be guilty for it. You understand? So if there is a person who in his lifetime, typically it's women who did it, so if there is a woman who during her lifetime wails over over the death of someone, and her children see her doing that, and then what happens when she dies, her children do it over her also, then she's guilty. She will be punished for the crying of our children, for the wailing of our children. Because why are they doing it? They're doing it because they saw her doing it. They learned it from her. So this is how we understand the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu wasallam. So it's understood that a person is not punished for the wailing done over his death unless he caused the wailing. He has a share in causing that wailing.